This episode is brought to you by my book, Be Left Behind, available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. If you've ever been interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and curious why Bitcoin has gone above $40,000 since the start of 2021, and if it could go even higher, this is the book for you. I've gotten messages in the last few weeks from professors, Silicon Valley investors, and friends and family thanking me for writing a book that brings everybody, no matter where they are, up to speed in language they can understand so that they best know how to approach Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Again, if it's anything you've ever been curious about and want to know where to start, Be Left Behind is the perfect book to do that. And I'm very, very proud of it. You, again, you can purchase it on Amazon, your local bookstore, Barnes & Nobles, or if you are interested in an autographed copy, go to my website, yurikataldo.com. This episode is also brought to you by meetfox.com. Meetfox is the simplest solution to interact with your clients online with their easy-to-use, fully web-based, no-tech-skills-required uh, system. All you have to do is sign up on their site. You can then link your calendar together and it's a single one-click scheduling. They eliminate the back and forth. will allow you to fill up your calendar directly and quickly and personally. I love this feature because back and forth to find meetings is a huge pain. You then can do your meetings online on their interface, which works really well. Also, they set up instant payments and automatic invoicing. So if you're charging clients for these meetings, you can do it automatically. You can do it before the meeting happens. It's absolutely fantastic one-stop shopping for anybody who is looking to monetize their time with online meetings. That's meetfox.com. If you use the promo code YURI, you will get two months absolutely free, which is a special deal that they gave me. Uh, and stay tuned for a special interview with the one of the co-founders of Meet Fox on the story behind the, the company, which is absolutely fantastic. Again, that's meetfox.com. Use the promo code YURI, Y-U-R-I, at checkout, and you'll get two months absolutely free. Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, You've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, where, when, and how of their journey. And as always, please remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with B. Jeffrey Madoff, founder of Madoff Productions. Jeff, hello. How are you? Hi, Yuri. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I truly appreciate it. How are things in your neck of the woods? Well, I'm in New York City. Mm -hmm. And right now, which is December 9th, you know, we're dealing with what the rest of the country is dealing with, which is larger COVID numbers and yeah. hospitals that are reaching stress points. So, you know, we're living in a unique historic time, that's for sure. Yeah. 
if if you wouldn't mind, I, so since you're in New York and that seems to be like, so, you know, New York has been in the forefront of a lot of people's uh, thoughts and on the news because of Andrew Cuomo and just what's been happening. How has, how has, it, how has the pandemic been in your experience over these last nine months? Well, New York was hit very early and very hard. So, and at a time when we did not know much about COVID and although we're still learning, Nine months ago, we knew a lot less and there wasn't a vaccine on the horizon. Yeah. So uh, with the hospitals being overburdened with the sound of sirens constantly going on, uh, it was difficult, uh, you know, but it also meant use common sense, mm-hmm. stay indoors, wash your hands, keep physically distanced. I like that better than socially distant. I try to be socially close, but physically distant. And uh, wear a face mask. And uh, the good thing, the good result out of a bad situation that New York went through is that people around here wear face masks for the most part. And that, you know, you walk around different areas and the vast majority of people you encounter, because we knew how bad it can be, And fortunately, New York is not one of those states that went into denial about the uh, virus. Right. And, it's, and it's very sad that wearing a face mask became weaponized as a political issue when it's a public health issue. And that people are protecting not only themselves, but others when wearing them. Right. Uh, and it's, it's less bad here now than it is in other states because of what we went through in the past. But, you know, we're, we as a nation, even the world really, are in a tough situation. But thank goodness there seems to be a very effective couple of vaccines on the horizon, mm-hmm. which will still take time to be deployed and to vaccinate people and so on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's good, that's, that's good. It's good to hear. Um, so for my listeners who are less familiar with your work and what you do, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Uh, well, I do a few things, Yuri. Uh, one is I have my production company, and so we produce and direct what's now called branded content. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's usually online. We also do commercials. We also do commission documentaries and brand positioning. And then I teach a course uh, called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas at Parsons School for Design in New York City, where each week I bring in different creative entrepreneurs or just different creatives uh, who talk about what they do, their process, maybe not unlike some of the stuff that you do. And that ended up because I kept getting asked, why don't you write a book? And uh, so I did. And uh, my book came out this summer, strange time to be launching a book too, but in a way, in a way, a good time because people were home and apparently were reading books and, of course, watching streaming videos on on their computers or TVs. And uh, I also have written and am producing a play and we have a theater deal. And uh, about two months ago, I had to make the call because I said to my management, we're supposed to move into the theater in April of 21. Mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about that. I don't think we're going to be through COVID yet. Uh, but 
I want to move to first quarter of 22. And we were able to make that move. So, you know, if I knew how long it was going to take to mount a play, I would have started when I was younger. <laughs> it's it's a, a journey. Yes, it is. I, uh, I know that journey very, very well. Wonderful. So that's, it is, there's so much, I guess, that I, I want to jump into. But before I do, I know before you did these three big items, you were a fashion designer. So I wanted to ask you about yes. that first. So what was what initially got you interested in becoming a fashion designer? And what was that? What was the world of fashion like at that time? Well, you know, it happened by accident. Uh, I was uh, had a double major, went to the University of Wisconsin and was a philosophy and psychology major. And I was on the wrestling team. So that was a great combination. <laughs> uh, people were looking for the mix. I mean, the, my phone was ringing off the hook at that time to just want to hire a sage uh, mm -hmm. who knew how to wrestle. Uh, and I was working at a small boutique in Madison. And a dear friend of mine that I grew up with who had graduated a year before me said, uh, you know, I've saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? So I saw what we sold and uh, I could always draw. So I said, I'll start a clothing company. And when I think back on this year, I think it's a good thing. Like I wasn't in the bathroom. I might've said, well, I'll start a toilet paper company. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just it was, it was context. Uh, yeah. That's where I was. And, uh, you know, I was about as well prepared for that as I was for anything else, which meant not prepared at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I was quite ignorant, but not stupid. And, you know, ignorance, you can learn stupidity is forever. So fortunately, I just had the ignorant part. Uh, and I learned a tremendous, tremendous amount, you know, doing that. Yeah. So was your was your company always based then out of out of Madison, Wisconsin, or did you move it into a like, you know, I guess when in the in the States, when we think of fashion in the houses, we think of them being in New York City. Is that why you ended up in New York City or was it because of something else? Well, <laughs> yeah, I moved from Madison to Footville, Wisconsin. I'm sure you've heard of that. Uh, and uh, I had a, yeah, Madison was too big. Uh, <laughs> Footville, Footville uh, I took over a clothing factory there. Okay. And so moved the base of the business there. And uh, it was interesting because the factory, the previous factory made clothing for two groups. Mm -hmm. uh, they made, uh, here's a little bit of political history. They made dresses for creep, which was committee to reelect the president, which at that time was Richard Nixon. And they also made clothing for Barbie dolls. And wow. the woman who owned the building, when I met her at her office on, uh, across her windowsill were all these Barbie dolls. And the three times I met with her, she was wearing a dress that matched the Barbie dolls. <laughs> so this was some surreal stuff, man. You know, I was waiting for Rod Serling to walk into the room. <laughs> but uh, after a while, I realized that I had to be in New York because mm -hmm. I wanted to be in New York. That's why I had to be in New York. Okay. And I had a wonderful man who was my financial backer. And he had made it clear from the beginning that the reason he was investing in me was uh, because I provided jobs for Wisconsinites and he owned banks in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And so we banked there. And if I moved the base of the business outside of Wisconsin, 
uh, he was not going to continue to back me. Okay. But at a certain point, I was compelled to move to New York. I wanted to be in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so how did that, how did that move go? And, and how did then your, because I, I know that, you know, you're not in fashion anymore. I'm, I'm curious then. So, so the move and then what happened that made you no longer want to be in fashion anymore? So, uh, well, I'll try to make that short. That's a long story, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to make it short is basically I realized that money comes and goes, mm -hmm. time only goes. And although I was quite young, you know, I started my company when I was like 21. Uh, I wanted to move to New York because I was seduced by the energy and the stimulus of New York. I'm a stimulus junkie. Yeah. And so I loved being in New York City. And when it got to the point that I wanted to move there and talk to my backer, he said to me, I'm not going to continue to back you if you move. And and he had been clear about that. He was a very good man. You know, yeah. I had no ill feelings at all. But I had to make a decision at a really young age. Do I shut this down? Does that make me a failure? You know, closing down a business. There was a recession going on then, and I had to, I had to lay off a lot of people, which is really rough because they were all substantially older than I. Mm -hmm. Most of them had families, so I was painfully aware of the impact that that was going to have on them. Uh, and that realization that time is irreplaceable, and I felt I could make money again. And I had saved up some. If I could live frugally, I could not work for a year. And that's what I did and moved to New York. Wow. So to answer the other part of your question is I started up another company. Okay. And uh, when I ran out of money. And uh, I met some people who were doing some film work. And... Uh, that's a whole other story, but what attracted me was the store, the opportunity to tell stories mm -hmm. and to use more of what I believed were my talents and to be able to express those in a much bigger way and collaborate with people in a much different way was very, very appealing to me. And I had a strong intuitive feel for film uh, and for storytelling. And so I switched careers and moved into that. Yeah. So is that the, let's say the beginning of what then became Jeffrey Madoff Productions or how did that company that you're running now evolve? Uh, I, I started a company with uh, a few other people. Uh, they had started and you know, had no traction yet at that point. Yeah. And they wanted to move into the fashion world. Okay. And they liked my background and I uh, liked that world and was interested. So I cast my lot with them for a couple of years where I learned a great deal and it was really interesting, but it was clear that we wanted to go in different directions. And so I left and started my own company okay. and I've been doing my own company now for, for 37 years since I was five years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm, so I'm, I'm curious in these early days. So you, you obviously learned a lot in your running your fashion company and building that up and then switching over to this one, but along the way, were there books you were reading or just experiences or people you're connecting with that helps you 
learn how to focus on building your company and growing your company? No. <laughs> you know, That's uh, fair. <laughs> you know uh, I knew a bit about the fashion business because my parents were retailers okay. and they were entrepreneurs in Ohio. Uh, my sister's an entrepreneur and she has a, a retail store. I was the buyer for the little boutique in, in Madison. Mm -hmm. So I had some sense of business, you know, and, and which can be boiled down pretty simply, which is you try to sell something for more than it costs you to make it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a fundamental lesson of business. Uh, and uh, so, so I had that kind of business sense, okay. but my company was growing so quickly and there was nobody I could really talk to about it in the Midwest. That's why I also wanted to move to New York because there were people that were familiar, you know, with the business. Yeah. So I learned by doing the same way that I learned filmmaking. Uh, I learned it by doing it and it's a great way to learn. Uh, and I'm often asked, you know, what I recommend that people go to film school for instance. And the yeah. great thing about going to school for that is, although you're often not aware of it, you're establishing a network mm. from the get-go. Like I know that, you know, you were at Yale Drama School. You meet other people who are doing what you want to do. And that starts establishing a certain kind of network for you that helps you move into that area. So I was a total outsider in both of these worlds. And I had to somehow get attention for what I was doing. Yeah. That's that's a lot harder. Yeah. Because so with your so your your company now, what how did you initially get let's say your first few clients and and looking at you know your uh, your website it looks like you spent a lot of time working with very large brands like Ralph Lauren yes. and and um, uh, particularly Victoria's Secret like how did those large corporations and companies how did that conversation and those contracts become Reality. Well, my, my first my first client was Halston, who at the time was, you know, probably the most significant American designer. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is you can, you know, try to start at the top because you can always work your way down. <laughs> and <laughs> and video at that time was quite new and novel. And videoing uh, fashion collections was also a very new business. Okay. And uh, I did something quite bold. I called Halston up and I was able to get through the receptionist and get to him and talk to him and, you know, said to him, you know, so you ever seen your own fashion show? And he goes, well, no, I haven't, <laughs> you know, cause he's always backstage. Yeah. So we see still pictures, but he can't really see how the audience was reacting. Uh, he couldn't see how the models really presented in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. because he was backstage prepping them for when they walk out. And so I told him that, you know, I can make him something that will not only give him an opportunity to be able to review his own collection, but he can use it in his showroom while people are waiting for appointments. They can be playing it. It could be playing at point of purchase in stores. And none of that was going on at that time. Mm -hmm. And Halston was a very forward thinking person mm -hmm. and he saw the value and invited me up. We met in person. We hit it off and I worked for him until he stopped working. Uh, so we had about a nine year relationship and uh, you know, which was great. <clears throat> and similarly with Ralph Lauren, uh, 
I was actually, somebody had heard about their head of PR at that time had heard of me mm -hmm. and uh, asked me up to meet Ralph and Ralph and I hit it off. And so that's how I got those clients. And, and the funny thing, I haven't said this to anybody before, but the funny thing about with Halston is I was living on unemployment. So I would always, I didn't have an office. So mm -hmm. I would go meet with Halston and say, you know, I'm sorry, but I've got to get to another appointment. I didn't mention that appointment was with the unemployment office and I had to get there by four or I wouldn't get my check. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's how I, that's how I initially, initially started. And, uh, you know, people assumed a lot because I got those clients. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, initially I did it as the Horatio Alger stories go, sheer pluck. You know, I just went after it and was able, you know, to get it. And because I think, and this may be helpful for your listeners, because there's kind of two sales that have to go on you know, when you're selling yourself or what you do. And first of all, you have to believe in yourself and your product and it's worthwhile uh, because then you can pitch that to somebody else with some confidence and credibility. But if you don't yet really have that confidence in what you're trying to do, you're not going to be effective at selling it. So first you have to sell yourself and then you sell the client. Yeah. So what, that actually brings up a very interesting question about, you know, if you lack the self-confidence or selling yourself, how did you approach that? Like, have you always been someone who's very confident or was that something you had to, you know, psych yourself up for and, and push past that to, to be able to have those kind of conversations early on? Well, I think one of the great things that my parents did for my sister and myself was that we did not have a household where children are seen and not heard. So we were very comfortable with their friends. Yeah. Their friends became our friends as we got older. So friends from Akron, when they came to New York, would look me up and we'd have dinner together. And so I was never uh, uncomfortable around adults or authority figures. That just wasn't an issue to me. Yeah. And, uh, and I did have the confidence that I could present well. And, you know, that I could do that. So, uh, you know, not that I didn't learn, not that I didn't get better. Uh, and in some ways, I was more, uh, I'm not sure what the term is, uh, but there are times that I want to channel my younger self because I took bolder steps then than I do now in a certain way because eh, I don't have quite the same drive. Yeah. you know, that I did then in some things now with the play I do, mm -hmm. you know, so it all depends also on your own motivation and why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, but I was fueled by the enthusiasm and that's, what's always fueled me by the enthusiasm for what I'm doing, being designing a line of clothing, teaching a class, shooting a film or writing and producing a play. Yeah. And I think that's the consistent thing. Okay. Is it, so is it that enthusiasm that helps you push past those moments where you feel apprehensive or fearful yes. to do something else? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that enthusiasm is a propellant. Yeah. You know, and people, when you are telling a story, relate to that enthusiasm. If you're very upbeat about it, if you're very excited about it, 
people get that. They feel that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that is a big thing. You know, I mean, when I started with my theater work, I didn't know anybody. And, but I, I believed that I had an important story that needed to be told. And uh, that got me indoors and I was able to convince people to read my script. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that was, you know, it's all a pitch, right? You know, in terms of whether I'm pitching a line of clothes, pitching a film project, pitching a play, it's all a pitch. And, you know, how do you, how do you do that? And one of the things that I found that I thought was quite interesting is this is probably the main insight I've had across all of the businesses. Mm-hmm. Number one is what does it take? It takes persistence and hard work. It's hard, you know, uh, to have a creative career. It requires a lot of work and that's not, that's not easy. But the interesting thing to me is that the protocols for all businesses are the same. So when I was designing clothes and coming up with a theme for a collection, first I had an idea in my head. I had to sketch things out, be able to communicate that idea. Then I had to cost out what's the cost of the materials? What's the cost of the labor? Uh, How long is it going to take me to get completed? Can I ship it by a certain date, bill and get paid? Well, doing that in the clothing business was the same thing in the film business. I had to have an idea. I had to put together the pitch and storyboard for that idea. What was the labor cost? What were the equipment costs? All of the same kinds of things. And that's also true for a play. So, you know, and it's true if you have an accounting business or you run a dental practice, you know, it's all that stuff is the same stuff in every business. And I think that one of the problems is that you aren't taught that in school. You may be taught techniques and so on, but you don't get the accompanying business knowledge, which is so absolutely critical to survival. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you more on, on that one. And that's, I think we have a, a lot in common on that side. But actually that leads me to my next section, which is the, your book and the class that you teach at Parsons. How did, so how did both of those come about and why did you want to write a book uh, called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas? So uh, a guy came up to me after I was shooting a Ralph Lauren show. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm Dean Stadel and I'm with Parsons. I said, oh, you're the Dean of Parsons? He goes, no, 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 my name's Dean. I said, oh, so you're, you're not the Dean, but your name's Dean, like Dean Martin. I mean, yeah. that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, I'd love you to uh, be a guest lecturer in my class. Would you be interested in doing that? Just sure. And teaching, by the way, is a fabulous way to learn. And I love teaching. And you also kind of don't know what you know until you're put to the test and questioned about it. So I found that cool. And uh, so my guest lecturing went well. And so I was asked back again and again and again every semester for about three years or four years. And then he said, you know, there's an opening for uh, an adjunct professorship. I think you should put together a class and do it. And I said, I don't know if I can because I can't afford to turn down production work and nor do I want to, but yeah, I do love the teaching. And he said, well, we'll work with you. He said, we'll try a third of a semester. 
So I did. I, what I didn't know is the other two people, there were two other people that were being auditioned for the same thing. But I ended up getting the opportunity. And so I took that opportunity. And each week, as I mentioned, I bring in these guests. And there's a lot of people that audit the class. And so people kept saying to me, you ought to write a book. You ought to get these ideas out here beyond the classroom. There's just like amazing stuff that's said in here. Because I bring in such a diverse and interesting group of guests mm -hmm. uh, from so many different areas. And uh, serendipity, I met a woman, uh, Jody Lipper, who is a wonderful person, who she said, oh, your class sounds great. You should write a book. And uh, then she took it a step further and said, I'll introduce you to my agent. And she was a writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, she also wrote my proposal because a proposal for a book is totally different than the book itself. And as she said to me, you're going to hate the proposal. It's all hyperbolic. It's a sales document. It's not what the book is. It's why they should buy the book. The publisher right. should buy the book. So I've been very fortunate in that I've met people who have been helpful, mm -hmm. but you know, it's not just being fortunate. It's also having your antenna up and being able to recognize opportunity and then not being reluctant to seize that opportunity. And I met her agent and her agent really liked the idea for the book. Mm -hmm. And she said, I think I can sell this. And so we did. So my book, which is based uh, on the class, and it has interviews from like over 50 people, but it's not a book of interviews. It's as if you're listening in on a roundtable discussion with a lot of smart people who have gone through a lot of things in their own careers. Yeah. And it's all embedded in the narrative of my career. And so you get to hear advice on overcoming obstacles, seeking financing, how do you attract the kind of help you need when you don't have the money to get them? Uh, how do you overcome, like what you were asking me, how do you overcome fear and doubt and keep moving forward yeah. in all of those things? And it was actually kind of therapeutic writing the book because it caused me to relive memories of things and difficulties that I've had and triumphs and all those things over the years because I've never done that kind of an in-depth look back. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting. But that's why I wrote the book is I wanted those ideas to be shared with a much wider audience because I think, I really think it can help people and help maybe inspire them to take a chance that they might've been afraid to take because everybody was kind of afraid to take that chance. No, you don't know it's going to work. So the only way... I, the phrase I love is from Lloyd Price, who I <clears throat> wrote my book about. And he said, well, the sure way to make sure that nothing happens is do nothing. <laughs> you know, and he's right. So you put it out there. You're not going to be in any worse position than before you put it out there. And you might be in a better position afterwards. Yeah. Excellent. So that so that does transition nicely then to our your, what you're currently doing also, which is this the the play. And so it's titled Personality, the Lloyd Price Musical. Is it a, is it a play or is it a musical? Is it just? It's a, it's a musical. Okay, so it's a, so it's a musical. So what, what initially made you want to write a musical? And how has that been like now? 
So uh, I was approached by someone who I had worked with, uh, a man by the name of John Bonani, who used to be uh, the executive producer for Radio City Music Hall. And I did the 75th anniversary film for their Christmas Spectacular. Mm-hmm. And we worked really well together and he liked what I did and it was a cool gig. He left Radio City. He had, after 12 years, he had actually, you know, been on Broadway as a stage manager and he was getting back to theater and he and Lloyd went to the same eye doctor <laughs> and he said to me, but you know, that's how, that's how stuff happens. You know, there's like not magic to this stuff. It's coincidence and serendipity a conversation, oh, you know, and, you know, things happen that way. And then you have to act on it when you hear it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of cool. And he called me up and said, have you ever heard of Lloyd Price? And I said, oh, yeah, because you've got walk a personality. Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I said, I want to do a short documentary of him to sort of raise his profile because I want to pitch a project about him. So I researched Lloyd. Uh, and then I did about a three hour interview with him and I was so taken by his story, which is an extraordinary story. And, uh, you know, Lloyd was the first teenager to sell over a million records. Uh, he was uh, the, and as a result, since he was, he's black, but, uh, nobody's prejudice against green. And back when, uh, back when he recorded his first song, Lottie Miss Claudie, Mm-hmm. There was a wall that was called race records. If you wanted a record by a black artist, you had to go to a black record store. But nobody wanted to miss out on that kind of money. And there was just a seismic change that happened, which was the birth of rock and roll. Yeah. So Lloyd's life happened at the, at the crossroads of the youth movement, the civil rights movement, and the birth of rock and roll. Because the music industry used to be an adult business. Teenagers did not buy records until getting into the 1950s. So his story was amazing. And I wrote the first few scenes. I said to Lloyd, I want to tell your story. And uh, I wrote the first few scenes and uh, sort of performed them for him. And he loved it. And we were then off and running. And uh, I knew he had great music. And the play is a musical. It's really a play with music. I wrote the play first because... I don't necessarily like musicals, but uh, I love Sondheim musicals. I love musicals that are motivated by something other than just, you know, the kind of songs that you hear at every musical. And uh, so I wanted to make sure that there was a strong story, that this wasn't just a jukebox musical that played a bunch of hits, that there was a real story there. And so that's what I concentrated on and then worked in songs where appropriate because I don't like it when people all of a sudden burst into song. Uh, And so all of the songs that happen in this are a result that he's performing or he's recording, or there's a a real world motivation, you know, not that, you know, across a crowded room. And those are great, but it's just not where my heart is. I, I completely agree with you. I've, I've, I've had so many of these kind of conversations back in my previous, you know, career. Um, and so, yes, uh, so it sounds absolutely amazing. How, so, so you wrote this production. How did you get together like the, you know, the, the financing part of it and then ultimately get it into uh, a theater and, and decide on a date when like the team is going to come together and this potential 
project is going to be opening up? How did that all come together? Uh, <laughs> so when I finished when I finished writing the play, uh, you know, I, I had to figure out what the next step were, next steps were, and I was you know excited about what I had written, which I've rewritten probably thirty times since then, by the way, uh, and. And there's something I want us to talk about just in terms of editing, because I think that's a key thing in all creative careers. But I called up a friend of mine, uh, Lee Wilkoff, who is a tremendously talented actor. And we grew up together. We knew each other since we were kids. He's from Canton, Ohio. I used to stay at their house, you know. And uh, so Lee and I were talking and uh, he said, weren't you writing a play? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, so where's that at? And I said, well, it's done. I want to start getting it out there. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, do you have a general manager? And I said, uh, no, what is that? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't really know. Uh, and so uh, he mentioned someone to me, uh, and a woman by the name of Wendy Orshan, who was uh, a great general manager on Broadway. I didn't know who she was. And he said, have you heard of her? And I said, no. And uh, he said, are you at your computer? Look her up. Look up 101 Productions. And I did. And, you know, she had a huge, huge resume. Mm -hmm. What happened that Lee's wife, Connie, mm -hmm. and Wendy used to wait tables together 35 years earlier. And uh, so he said, uh, Wendy's the godmother to our daughter. Do you want to meet with her? I said, yeah. He said, all right, I'll call her. And he did. Mm -hmm. And I met with her the next day, which was just kind of amazing how I ended up there. And she introduced me to the general manager that I am now using, who's great, Adam Hess, who's mm -hmm. a wonderful, terrific person. And, you know, then one leads to another. And, you know, once you start dropping the breadcrumbs and, and trying to follow that path. And so I eventually met people. I, I had raised some money because I had written a film and I'd raised some money for development. Mm -hmm. But when Lloyd, and, and I like the script a lot, but Lloyd's script is really important to me because it's about race, which is uh, an incredibly important issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about civil rights. It's about music that I love. It's about popular culture that I love. And I just, and I wanted to also get this on stage while Lloyd is still alive and able to get some of the accolades that he's long overdue. And he's 87. Okay. Uh, so uh, I had some seed money and I was able to do a table read. And then I raised a little bit more money and we did what's called a 29 hour, which means you have the actors for 29 hours. So there was three days of rehearsal and two performances. And that's when the actors stand with you know, music stands with their script. Mm -hmm. The response was really good. And then I was able to raise money to do a full up workshop where we hired a choreographer. We had a seven piece band and that was extremely well received. We got, I was able to raise further money on that. And then we got a uh, theater deal with people's light theater, which is a very good regional theater uh, in Malvern outside of Philadelphia. And they just started producing original work a few years ago, and they have been very supportive and really like the play. And that's where it's going to have its world premiere. 
Wonderful. And so how has this process been like during COVID? Because I know that everything is shut down and, and yeah. the, the theater world is like is holding its breath, waiting to find out when things can kind of turn back on again. And so how are you looking at that being in the middle of it with a, a brand new production? So originally, our, uh, we got we signed the theater deal. I signed the final contracts at the end of December of 19. Okay. And uh, was very excited. I thought, man, I wish we were supposed to then open in, in April of 21. Okay. Which seemed, you know, like an eternity away. It was like 15 months away or something like that. And I was trying at first to see if there's any way we could open up for the fall season uh, as opposed to waiting till spring of the next year. Mm -hmm. There wasn't. Thank goodness there wasn't because about two and a half months later is when we hit into COVID. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things that I've done is we were able to work with the theater and move the play from April of 21 to February of 22, uh, where of course we all hope that the world will be in a better place, that we can go to live events safely yeah. and that theater and music clubs and sporting events and all those things are, are happening again, which we all hope they will be. And I think there will be a lot of pent up demand for that kind of entertainment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it takes a long time to mount a play. Uh, if I knew how long it took, I'd have started when I was younger. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then we had to add another 14, 15 months on already a future date, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is amazing. Um, and I can't wait for it to come out because it sounds like a, a fantastic show. With everything that you have done and experienced in, in your career so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given? Always be curious, be present, ask questions, and listen. And that has served me well uh, throughout my career because as I tell my students, the only dumb questions, because they're always afraid, well, I was going to ask a question, but I was afraid it was a dumb question. It's the only dumb question is the one you don't ask that ends up biting you in the ass later because you didn't ask it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that curiosity is essential to creativity. I think being present is essential in, in creativity and relationships. I think that asking questions is uh, the best way to learn. And I think that listening is the best way to have a, a creative collaboration. Mm -hmm. Well, wonderful. Jeff, thank you so much. Those are, that's a great way to kind of wrap up our conversation. Um, and I really appreciate your time today. If the listeners want to buy your book or see more of what you're working on, where is the best place they can go to do all of that? So the book, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, is available on Amazon and all fine booksellers. <laughs> and uh, my website is Madoff Productions, M-A-D-O-F-F -F Productions. Uh, there is a Instagram page, which is at Madoff Productions. And then uh, there is a website for Creative Careers, which is www.acreativecareer.com and also on Instagram page, which is acreativecareer.com. And then on LinkedIn, 
under my name, the Jeffrey Madoff, where you can see clips from my class. You can see extended clips on the website, but you can see things on LinkedIn also. Okay, wonderful. That's extensive, and I will put all those links in the show notes so listeners can click right through and buy your book and connect with you as, as much as they'd like. Great. Um, but again, thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time today. This has absolutely been wonderful. Thank you. I feel the same way. I'm very nice to meet you, and thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.